A lot of cobwebs in your hand. You're getting rusty, so you stay. You're feeling bad, and everything looks gray and sad. You're getting worried, yes indeed. I know exactly what you mean. A little sunshine will make you feel okay. Now look here, give the blues a chance. Find a sunny place. Go and paint your face. Sunshine, pay your doctor bill, throw away his pill, you can cure your ill, with sunshine, why don't you take your teeth up one by one before it gets too late. Everybody, this is Jordan Poole, author of Postmodern Gypsy, and thank you for listening to the Postmodern Gypsy podcast, being recorded from Priscilla, Queen of Backroads. This is episode four. I mean, I could not hold it anymore. I had to pee. After pulling over on the side of the road with the engine still running, I was taking a leak into the darkness of the desert. At that moment of most vulnerability, it happened. I think I may have screamed like a little girl. Out of nowhere, out of the darkness, a guy came and yelled, Hey, excuse me. I screamed afterwards. After composing myself and apologizing for my high, shrill scream, I found a new friendship. Having recently been released from jail for public intox, was a very sober and dehydrated young gentleman, a Navajo native named Joseph, who was in need of something to drink. It was apparent he had spent some time and many miles in the desert that day. As always, my glass growler jug full of tea came to the rescue. No word of appreciation need be said as his guzzled moans were testament to his thirst. I don't live here but more than ten minutes to drive from here. Think you could drive me home, said Joe. Uh, well, if I do, would you mind me just parking in your driveway for the night? I, I just, I, I'm done for driving for the day. Sure. Oh, okay. Into the darkness, I drove, completely at his mercy. I was trusting in his directions and his decency. Shadowy distortions exist at night in the desert. This moment felt like the nights I used to drive home from school in Savannah to Tybee Island. The moonless stretches here were just like that of the black expanse of the sea as it looked at night. Felt like an open sea of vast unknown. Around midnight, we pulled into his property. It was a place with no rainfall, no grass. It was almost all just dry, sandy dirt. There was no driveway. I parked towards his little cottage. It was a collection of little tiny houses in a group, and Joe was so grateful for me helping him out. It was apparent that everyone else was asleep, but Joe would not let me hop back into Priscilla and go to bed until he showed me around. 
Gosh, he was so proud. My old lady is asleep, Joe said, pointing at his cottage. I was being hosted by the most gracious people I had met the entire trip. And they didn't have a running water or a toilet. Just an outhouse. Joe and his dad were machinists and welders. Amid the silence of others sleeping, and surrounded by that whistle sound of the wind, I was given a tour between one artist to another. Behind a rough fence made of pulled planks and shipping pallets, there was a garden. No drought could mar the beauty that unfolded behind that sun-bleached wooden fence. Joe and his dad had made a garden of reclaimed metal for his mother. The enamel-painted flowers bloomed with the eternal spirit of love. I was witness to a private and joyous garden. Now I have walked the grand gardens of Versailles in France, and the emotion that I felt in that little garden on the Navajo reservation that night, they were equaled. I sipped a cold, cold cola that Joe had given me with gratitude, and then climbed into bed and turned off the light. Early that morning, I awoke to a conversation outside. Dude, I've got a white guy staying here. I was an exotic visitor. I left my gracious host after a fantastic breakfast where I met the whole family. They sent me off with a full plate of food for lunch. Joe's mom would not have it any other way. After following miles and miles and miles of back roads, I finally came back to the main road. The many tourists were on their way to the Grand Canyon, rushing, not making the slightest bit of effort to let me into the highway. Then came a flatbed truck with Navajo men in its cabin and in its bed. They slowed and allowed me to go on my way. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, The sky is the daily bread of the eyes. This story is an example of one of the many personal moments witnessed during my travels. There's a range of emotions that one feels on the road, witnessing the wonders of nature. Driving by way of some back highway, I saw my reflection in the mirror, smiling back at me. The windows were all down, and the wind was blowing in tufts of warm, cool air from outside. I looked ahead to the driver's side rear mirror. There was no one else in sight. Forwards or back. I picked up my phone that was plugged into the charger by the cup holder and the center console. There's no service. No stations came in clearly on the radio either. So I opened up the lid of the console and just grabbed in for something to play. Put the mirror disc in its slot and as the sound swirled, the laser tuning in on the CD, I heard the first chords of George Harrison's My Sweet Lord. I reached over, gave a quick flip to the volume knob, 
those iconic licks of the guitar strings set up upon the desert air as I stretched out my hand into the wind. Warm air blew through my fingertips as I followed the rhythm of the tune. Before me was a most awesome evening show. Just for me, my own personal moment in Monument Valley. We were all draped in shades of heavenly gold as me and Priscilla glided into the cool evening winds. What I realized in that moment of being completely alone was that I did not feel alone at all. I felt an assurance. I felt not a single bit of loneliness. I felt like you do whenever you're dancing with friends. I felt that I was with friends. Maybe the spirits of those long since past were with me. You know those moments where we need to embrace the present, not think about what others think, really do enhance our mojo. I think it seems to me that if some folks took a moment to drink in rather than post, tweet, or upload, a bit more magic could exist in the world. My family has been traveling to the same plot of land in Colorado for 60 years. Travel stories among generations have similar themes in different times. The customs may be much the same, but the economics of our travels have changed greatly. Mama was always sitting in a chair in front of a stretched out quilt. Her large, ribbon, large living room was almost always full and taken up by a quilt. The quilt would be tacked on a frame made of one-by-ones and held together with sea clamps. She would sit by the hour and stitch patterns using a rainbow of recycled scraps of fabric to make creative designs. My main job was to hand her a snuff can when she asked. And I would sometimes stitch too, but always magically my stitching would be redone the next day. She would sit there by the hour. A mantle clock sat across from her and ticked hypnotically. Without ever looking up from her stitching, she would count the chimes to the hour. Dinner was to always be served promptly at noon. In the South, the largest meal of the day is always called dinner. And most times, it's a healthy serving of vegetables from the garden. Stew potatoes, fried okra, fried chicken, corn pone, green beans, turnips. That was a usual staple menu at her table. For most Southerners, the mastery of storytelling is an art picked up at home. It is just as subtle as the, and important as the methods and seasons used in cooking. Each story was a testament to observation, inflection, irony, and that always important touch of humor. Mama would always say, These old bones have traveled a many a mile. She was born in 1910, and her husband, W.C., was born in 1909. They would take off in the summers in a 1958 Pontiac Chieftain. Oh, the stories she'd tell. They must have been something special back then to explore like they did. There were no interstate highways. She had so many stories to tell. About the times and adventures they had. W.C. or Paul, they called him, wanted a hunting lodge. And he bought some land in Colorado. They purchased it real close 
to an area that was close to the Royal Gorge. They went to it in July of 1962. The roads out there all were dirt back then. And they drove a car that got 11 miles to the gallon. The rate of inflation that year was 0.04%. Lucille, or Mama, was 52. And W.C. was 53 years of age that year. John F. Kennedy was president. It was a modern era. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Every morning, we listen to the AM news radio program, and she would cook breakfast. She would sit on the bank of a hill by the garden and tell all the places that she and Paul had stayed together as they traveled around the country. I remember her talking about a, a dinner that she had had at Cannon City. She talked about how they had the best French coconut pie. I always remember her making French coconut pie, especially for holidays. That and pecan pie. Always careful not to overbrown the crust. Her guest room had a, a mounted trout that she had caught on the same trip that took them through Cannon City and up way through the Rockies. Her pitcher was put in the local paper for catching it. The average price of gas that year was 31 cents a gallon. A cold coke just cost 15 cents back then. They would take groceries that they had from the grocery store they owned. And they would make many meals off of sandwiches, I was told. A loaf of bread cost 22 cents in 1962. She told me one time that she remembered trying a beer while west, west of the Rockies. She never had a beer before in her life at 52 years of age. But she thought it was just horrible. She thought it was awful. Now, she also didn't like foreign foods. You know, foreign foods like spaghetti or pizza. <laughs> she had tried those too. But she would always end her stories with, At least I tried and I found out. Turn your lights down and listen to the master radio. Get in touch with God. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on. It's a twister. It's a twister! All right, Dorothy, I'll just go another way. That's what I said whenever I was changing directions due to a tornado touching down, causing me to react and changing my travel directions for safety. The changing of my direction was one of many taken during the trip. Priscilla and aerodynamics were never the best of friends. She liked, we liked to drive below the speed limit. It makes for slower travel, but much more economical in the end. A penny saved is a penny earned, especially with the price of gas being what it was. Now, this one particular afternoon while driving in Kansas, I found myself going about mm, 85 to 90 miles an hour. I was rattling down a two-lane highway. There was the sounds of 
wind whistling and with the clinks, clanks, pops, and thuds of Priscilla. Occasionally, we would go airborne. At one point, I took a quick turn that caused the tires to squeal. I heard the clunk of all my belongings taking new positions in the galley behind me. Every item that had once been neatly organized inside her cabinets came out for a roll-around party on her floor. She was playing those toe straps that held her on to the back of the truck like a fiddle. A tornado was clearly off to my right. I was taking an unexpected route, despite how many times my GPS told me to make a legal U-turn. GPS and all of its infinite wisdom, you know, it's oblivious to the weather. I had both hands on the wheel, and I was focused on getting ahead of the storm. Everybody, this is Jordan Poole, author of Postmodern Gypsy, and thank you for listening to the Postmodern Gypsy podcast being recorded from Priscilla, Queen of Backroads. This is episode four.